politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready for action, action, action. Talk is cheap. Everything else walks. Folks, this is where we're at on this Thursday. Here's the deal. Thursday, January 18th. By the way, Daniel Horowitz back here today. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we soar above all the other listless vessels. You see, this week was maddening. It's a sad week. But it's also extremely clarifying. And we'll go over the news of the day through the prism of congressional stuff, state legislative stuff, and the presidential campaign, and and they all th- all three are interconnected. By the way, I have never experienced a week in my life where it was so clarifying as to why things are the way they are, why they are so screwed up, why they continue to be screwed up even more so since 2016, and ultimately what needs to be done about it to rectify it. So in other words, we got Jeremiah, but we got Ezekiel and you know some some passages of Isaiah today all together. There's good and bad. There's there's pessimism and optimism. And that really is the most empowering of all. Okay? I mean, you know, if if I just lie to you and say everything's great, you know, Trump's going to win and he'll win the primary he'll win the general and he's not going to screw us this time and he learned his lesson uh don't worry just vote republican it, that that's not uplifting because it's all a freaking lie and it will perpetuate the status quo but if we actually show you how bad and subversive the GOP is Trump and his people are that it doesn't have to be this way, and even if ultimately gets the nomination, there are still many ways to both rectify things right now in some parts of the country and build for the future after he inevitably likely loses the general no matter what, or perhaps is forced to step down. Remember, that still is a distinct possibility. Then there actually is a lot of hope. So I want to, again, go through all of that today just so you guys, um, you know, have that full picture as always that you're not going to get from others. First, our sponsor today is our friends at ExpressVPN. Just like you don't let a friend drive drunk, you don't let a friend or a family member uh, use a smartphone or a device without a VPN. Uh, for better, for worse, and it's more for worse, we put our lives on our phone. Our entire lives are spent on that that dumb iPhone or a smartphone. And the reality is if everything is there, you know, everything you do from financials to politics to messaging, your choices, it, it's all monitored by uh, Verizon, AT&T, and the cartel, and therefore it all goes to the government. Actually, even without them, they they have access to it. So that's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that prevents your phone carrier from being able to see the sites you visit and sell it to third parties. It's just one tap of a button, and you could secure your VPN, which is a mask, except it actually works on your phone, unlike Chinese face diapers, for five devices on one whole family plan. Uh, When your phone carrier tracks you, that's a gross invasion of your privacy. 
you can either keep letting them do it, or you could visit expressvpn.com slash conservative and do something about it. Um, like I did a couple of years ago and have not gone back since then. Take back your privacy and get three extra months free. Since a quarter of the year will be free if you go to expressvpn.com slash conservative. That's expressvpn.com slash conservative. So let's start off with congressional affairs. So it's interesting. There's going to be a massive snowstorm in D.C. on Friday. Well, actually not. Be about two inches of snow. But you see, what's interesting is two inches of snow is enough to shut down the government. So they're rushing today, Thursday, for both the House and Senate to pass the um, political anal rape bill of conservatives, as they always do, to fund everything Biden is doing. So so because they, they, they don't want to vote on Friday, so the House is going to rush. So we can have... Well, we could have a shutdown for two inches of snow, but we can't have a shutdown over an invasion of 8 million people and inflation, invasion, and indoctrination. No, can't do that. So we're going to have a supermajority of Republicans in the Senate and the House today vote to screw us on every issue imaginable. So, So right there, freeze frame. This is a very profound thought because I'm going to be talking about things that you know, obviously, most of you supported DeSantis, but you know, some are in the middle and some enthusiastically supported Trump. I want to speak to things that we all on paper say we agree upon. So we all agree that this is wrong. But after eight years of MAGA media, Trump control, Trump surrogates, Trump taking over the party, this is where we're at. We are worse off than ever. Republicans cave earlier before a budget deadline than ever before. They caved swifter and they caved more profound. We all make fun of the Boehner days, but the reality is Republicans actually secured more in that first, I forget the number Congress it was, but uh, 2011, 2012, than post-2016. They actually did better relatively during that time. We've gone backwards in... GOP House control governing. And any and you know in the in the Senate, I understand Democrats control 5149, but that's very far short of 60 votes. We have gone backwards. Um we just had 13 people, 13 out of 49 opposing it. We have gone backwards. Backwards. Okay? Oh Daniel, no, but let me tell you. These guys are going to get defeated right away, and you know we're we're going to throw out all these guys. Nope. It is very likely. Well, no. Okay, let me start. The Senate, not a single Rhino senator, and there's at least five, six of them up, literally within weeks. No one's focusing on this because it's all one focus. But we 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 don't do this. We don't care. We don't want to win. Every one of them will win re-election, again, with a larger margin than what Trump himself won. So, so don't talk about Trump's amazing talent and everything, because Roger Wicker ain't talented, but he'll get 80%. And in the House, it is very likely that not a single House member will get bumped off, but if they do, it won't be more than two or so. Okay? 
So that's what we have going on there. But Republicans learned how to pick our luck. See, it used to be Republicans had nowhere to run from their um, betrayal. So as long as we have a sustained focus from conservative media on so-called conservative organizations, eventually we could change things. But now they've learned that all you need to do is kiss up to Trump and the Trump-adjacent issues, which might be good issues, depending on the things, but it's it's not really to get an outcome on the issue, but it's just to placate him and his supporters and his media. And make no mistake about it, Fox News is Trump news. I, I defy you to uh, show me any way that is not true. So what Scalise is doing is he's moving forward with a contempt vote against Hunter Biden this week. It's a meaningless in the scheme of the quality of our lives. <laughs> Won't do anything on the issues that matter, but it will be used as a loincloth to cover for the budget betrayal, the NDAA, FISA, all the things, you know, that actually do matter. They're very smart. Hunter Biden, impeachment of Mayorkas, okay? But, but that's, that's where we are. That's where we are. Now there's another congressional thing that's going on that ties perfectly into possibly the most important news on the presidential primary front or presidential general election front. And that is our good old friend, Elise Stefanik. Okay, so I'm going to give a little bit of a introduction to this by reviewing something we mentioned yesterday to set the stage. Bob Good. He's a congressman from like the Shenandoah area of Virginia 5. And he is among the top five conservatives in the House. Let, let, me, let me just reiterate how Orwellian this is. Bob Good, first of all, is a hero to begin with because he bumped off an incumbent, Denver Riggleman. And that is very difficult to do. So he props for that. But it's more than that. I forgot. I didn't, I didn't say the whole story yesterday. I forgot. Riegelman is not just a rhino, but he was very anti-Trump, okay? He voted for impeachment and all sorts of things, and he, he was savaged. He was like one of the top J6 guys with um, Liz Cheney, okay? Did you know, fun fact, Trump endorsed Riegelman? Now, that was be, I think that was before the impeachment vote, but he did endorse him against Bob Good. And Bob Good won. I, I just want you to understand, you know, they're like, shut up. It's not Trump's job to get on your plantation. You better get on his plantation. Shut up. Take the anal rape where, you know, in, in the Wuhan and uh, don't say a word. He's able to promote all the rhinos and he's able to promote Doug Burgum and Lindsey Graham and Bud Light and Rick Grinnell and... Promote gay marriage, side with Disney. Whatever he could do, it's all good. You have to support him. He doesn't have to support, he doesn't have to get on our issues. We have to get on his plantation. Okay. But what a lot of us noted throughout his presidency, and again in the 2020 campaign, how many times did I say, for those of you who listened to me back then, I can't be more pro-Trump than Trump himself is. And I said that facetiously because... Trump really doesn't stand for the issues he's perceived as standing for, but 
you know, for those of you who think he is. So, hey, look, I want to help. So he would literally support. I mean, again, I'll go back to Mitt Romney. He endorsed it. There was another candidate who, by the way, won the convention. Convention wasn't binding because they gutted the Utah convention. But um, there was someone from the legislature who did run and he he won the convention. Trump supported Ron. He supported every person who hated him and literally carpet bombed some of his most ardent supporters. I'm not talking about people who supported Cruz in 2016. I'm talking about people who supported him from day one and then they would run for a House seat, a Senate seat against like the biggest never Trumper, rhinos. He would endorse them. I, it's unbelievable. So Bob Good was a big Trump supporter. Riggleman was not just a real rhino, but he was anti Trump. And he endorsed against, and he endorsed Riggleman. Bob Good winds up winning. He comes in, has as perfect of a voting record as you could have. I mean, and again, I'm not just saying on kind of like maybe the Ted Cruz sort of conservatism, 2005, maybe Heritage Foundation conservatism. I'm talking about this era, what the most ardent MAGA kind of Trump supporters wanna want in a candidate. You got that with with Bob Good. He w- he was against Ukraine before it was cool. He becomes Freedom Caucus chair. He led all. He was the original in all three speaker fights. You know whether you felt strategically all of them were timed right, but he he and he was very genuine about it. Unlike some other people who are trying to build lists, quiet guy just genuinely wants to do the right thing. Trump's campaign manager yesterday, Chris Lasavita, announces. So they, they already recruited a guy against him, this guy McGuire. And he announced, he said, when we're done with Bob Good, he'll be unelectable. And and Lasavita himself is a Bush era relic of the GOP establishment. Again, Orwell has nothing on Trump and his movement and his supporters. So we're at a situation where we don't have a primary challenger against a single Rhino, I mean, there are a few that are running on their own, but not with the support of Trump. We had two of them on in the House, but none for Senate, none for governor. None of these guys are going to get punished for anything they're doing. Now, you might think, well, Daniel, I don't know. It's kind of hard to recruit. It's hard to find. But boy, oh boy, when they want to, did they find a guy to run against Bob Good? So, but Bob Good, who is... On a scale from 1 to 100, he's 100 from anything you would want from conservative, populist, nationalist, MAGA, Trump, America First, whatever label you want to give, he is top-notch, but he's now trash. And, and, And also, we need unity, right? Unity. So in other words, so even when Trump elevates the issues and personnel of what MAGA claims they hate, I have to be quiet and can't say anything about it because of unity, but he's allowed to primary challenge the sitting Freedom Caucus chair who originally bumped off a never-Trumper who supported impeachment. He's able to do that out of this critical juncture. Again, everything is a one-way street and a dead end with this man. Okay, that was a long introduction. So Bob Good is trash, but who is amazing? Elise Stefanik. So there's a lot going on with Elise Stefanik. Let's first 
talk about the congressional part. And this is the embodiment of the era we live in. It used to be that the establishment, they weren't loved by conservative media. They weren't loved by Republican voters. But as we talked about just psychologically, if there wasn't some massive scandal, they, they just get reelected. You know, they just, the people don't want to change. They don't want to throw them out. But they didn't love them. Okay, they didn't love them. That was before Trump. Because before Trump, how do you get loved by conservatives? Well, you have to do some really good right-wing stuff. And they didn't want to do it because they're the Chamber of Commerce. They're the special interests. They're not going to buck them. You see, what Trump gave them was a panic button where you can continue getting the special interest, globalist, corporatist outcomes, but I'll find ways to ingratiate myself to these talk shows and whatever. And that's A, supporting Trump as a person, not all the ideas he's perceived as standing for. And then also B, just kind of like getting into these rhetorical battles over quasi-cultural issues that might themselves be important, but in the way they matter, they're undermining us, and then they just give us rhetoric in the way it doesn't matter. So, you know, you we all agree January 6th, the persecution, the weaponization is an important issue. Elise Stefanik just voted to fund all of that, and she always will. She crafted the budget bill as part of leadership. She voted for it. She voted for the NDEA. She voted for the FISA extension. She voted for the weaponization. But rhetorically, she called the J6 um, defendants uh, hostages. And so she's a massive hero. So New York Democrat Dan Goldman introduced a resolution of censure of Elise Stefanik over, you know, over January 6th. So now she gets to play that ricochet game. Like, you know what it is? So, so you have two armies. You have the Dem army and the, and the you know, Republican army. What they do is in the background, they arm the Democrat army. They give them, you know, mortars and light artillery, heavy artillery, machine guns, grenades. But then they get, get a camera set up and they, they jump out in front of the line and like, you know, the, the Dem army starts yelling about them. So they're perceived as a hero. Elise has now perfected that with Trump. She does the triple crown. The Trump, the rhetoric that the kind of MAGA base wants to hear on some of those issues. And then the, you know, bombastic uh, clips that are, it's, it's like, you know, Elisa whispers to her staffer, get ready, get ready to cut the clip and put it out on YouTube and has this, uh, you know, pre-planned thing of, of some sort of straw man witness to go beat up at a hearing. And then all the while, every issue that matters on the other side mandated gay marriage on the red states. She voted for that. She voted against the Trump tax cuts. She, by the way, was to the left of leadership, to the left of leadership historically. Okay. But now we're going to spend time. You see, this is the this is what I mean. Trump was not just an aberration. This is the new model he created that you become a hero, a martyr of the left in the way it doesn't matter while you promote the left where it doesn't matter. So he's like, Daniel, Shut up. You're helping the Democrats. Well, wait, so I'm helping the Democrats by calling out the Republicans who uh, help the Democrats and help pass their stuff that 
matters, right? I mean, like, I'm not going to deal with this bullcrap. And that's why I have a piece out today, six questions Trump supporters absolutely must demand from him. This is not October, it's January. And even if you think he's inevitable, but it still is January. There still is a long process. He might clean it up and win all 50 states, but we're still in the primary. In other words, we have a lot of time. You don't have to throw yourself at him. You could pressure him to get right on those issues, both policy, personnel, electoral viability. You need an answer on that. But no, they have learned that you make yourself a martyr to the left, and that, by default, defines you as good. Which leads me to the next thing. I'm sure you saw the news yesterday. Elise Stefanik is being seriously considered for VP as she campaigns for Mitha Trump in New Hampshire. Now, I mentioned yesterday it's important not just to lay down the marker that he must not... Uh, um. Uh, pick Nikki Haley. I don't think he would at this point. It's not enough. He must not pick anyone like Nikki Haley. And I will just tell you, on paper, Nikki Haley actually is more conservative than Elise Stefanik. Um, You know, again, on on, on a lot of the civilization issues, ultimately, that we're fighting for, um, they're, they're about the same. But on th- like on social issues for sure, Nikki's not going to fight it, but she's not going to mandate gay marriage on the state right states. Elise would. Elise is a big homo supporter. Um, and then on fiscal issues for sure as well. You know, even even just kind of the consensus Republican fiscal issue, she's really bad on. So she is demonstrably to the left of Nikki Haley. But MAGA loves her. You know, I saw. I saw Charlie Kirk put out a list of who um, Trump should should pick. And and look, to his credit, he said it, he must not pick Nikki Haley. But Christy Nome and Elise Stefanik were on there. So this is the game. So what, you know, you know is it that, oh, you know, they're they're at least doing their job and um, you know, not not uh supporting rhinos and holding Trump to Trump's feet to fire? No. What's the common denominator? Bob Good is bad on the right, and Nikki Haley from the establishment is bad, yet at least Stefanik and Christy Nome are good. Well, gee, what's the common denominator? It's not a matter of whether you're, you're to the right, we support you, you're to the left, we oppose you. No. If you support Trump, you're supported. If you don't, you're opposed. So that has permutations. So you could be a conservative, but if you prop up Trump, you're fine. Not because you're a conservative, because you prop up Trump. If you're the best conservative, but you didn't support him, you're a dog. And and likewise on the establishment side, Nikki Haley is bad. Not, not because she is because of her views, but because she's against Trump. Because Stefanik and Noam are even worse. But they're fine. So this is the thing. This is not getting better. And we have a right to know this. We cannot have a movement where now the establishment not only has a panic button, the blood, the, the ritual blood on their doorpost, like in Exodus, where they could get out of any primary and still screw us, but now 
the establishment can work with the Trump people to get out the people who actually are trying to be a threat to them by saying, ah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, you see, you're against Trump. That is the moral hazard. Because even if you love Trump and you don't see what I see, you do have to admit and you all understand there are policies and personnel and there are times that you will have to butt heads with him. And here's what happens then. So is the guy a hero for butting heads with him? You know, let, let, let's say let's say um, Trump becomes president, okay? And he wants to nominate Doug Burgum for, uh, um, you know, cabinet for Secretary of Energy. He wants to nominate uh, Lindsey Graham for Secretary of Treasury or Secretary of State or whatever, Secretary of Defense. So typically we would have an apparatus where all the Republicans who voted to, let's say, well, it's only, it's only a Senate vote, but voted to confirm the bad guys, we would be able to maybe at least attempt to primary them. Now... Not only will we not be able to primary them, but our guys who make the right move voting against someone who is antithetical to MAGA, they'll get primaried. You see the problem? So this is not just, Daniel, it's Biden that way. You ain't a vote for Trump. I have out for Biden. No, it's actually not. There's actually multiple dimensions here. You could still vote for him against Biden, but you could... Stop this theme of refusing to even gently nudge him to the right on a single issue and then trash the people who actually are trying to do it um, and, and, and helping the establishment. <laughs> that, that's like another option, by the way. Uh, it, it just, it's just so obvious. So I will say it again. Here's the good news of this week. We felt that Ron is the guy. People like Charlie Kirk felt that Donald Trump is the guy. Okay? The good news is this. We both on paper want the same things. It's just a matter of, okay, who's the better guy to achieve that? Okay, so you got your guy. You have your guy. Okay, and let's just, I'm not going to get into the horse race, but let's just, whether I agree or not, we'll find out in the next few days. But let's just agree to their premise that it's over. There's no path. Trump's going to win all 50 states. Fine. Let's just accept that for for the purpose of this discussion. So he's inevitable. So, you know, and, and I picked Charlie because, you know, he he on paper says he wants this stuff and, you know, and 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 did say Trump don't don't do it. Don't pick Nikki. I fine. I I respect that. But now you guys have an obligation to do what I would have done with DeSantis. You have an obligation to keep him in the fold and 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 stop with the bad endorsements, stop with the bad policies, stop with the bad personnel. Start building a competent campaign to win a general election. Stop with the basement campaigning. You have an obligation to do this. And the fact that Trump is still even entertaining Nikki and the fact that he's still really entertaining Stefanik. Okay? That demonstrates one of two things. Either they don't want to move him to the right or something that they're not going to admit, that they have enough ties to Trump to get access to grift off his movement and his name ID, 
but they don't have enough to actually influence him. And this is the dirty little secret that we lived for four years of his presidency. Take the better, more authentically conservative guys around Trump. They would sometimes advocate for what we want to Trump. And there are times that they're, and, and even on the campaign, and I know this for a fact, that a certain idea makes its way into a speech of Trump. Okay. And sometimes it made its way into policy when he was president. But by and large, at the most critical junctures, the most critical points, the issues that mattered, in the way they mattered, at the time they mattered, it was those forces that they never want to talk about around him that always had more clout than they do that always won the day. That always won the day. And a lot of that buck stops with the man himself because he himself doesn't believe in what we believe in. He doesn't believe in anything. He could be convinced in either direction. But ultimately, when the big corporations and the big guys said, you have to have stability, Trump is very scared of the stock market. He talked about that all the time. We have to have zero interest rates. We have to have a lockdown. We have to uh, have warp speed. We, ha we can't have a government shutdown. We can't fight on a debt ceiling because you're going to default. That they win the day. I'll give you an example, and this we talked about this again. Anything I'm saying now in the primary, there's not a single thing I didn't say for four years when he was president, literally at the time. You know, you know me by now. Um, so Trump had two individuals in his cabinet. He had a man named Russ Vote as his director of office and management and budget. And then he had Steven Mnuchin as uh, the Secretary of Treasury. Uh, Russ Vote was the best cabinet member he had. He, he, was, he was a movement guy. He's a conservative. He's committed. He's, he's, he's a good guy. Then Steven Mnuchin is not just a liberal, but he's – it's almost like Trump was trolling us. Hey, you know – I'm gonna do globalist bigly. It's like 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 with Elise Stefanik. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna rhino like nobody rhinos. I'm gonna make the rhinos great again. I mean, Steven Mnuchin wasn't even a rhino. He's a straight up Democrat. So you know when you're talking about fiscal policy, budget, which really is everything because everything ultimately gets back to that. It's OMB and Treasury. But at the end of the day, it's more Treasury. So. What the OMB director's tour de force is, the, the main thing he's at least publicly known for is putting out the annual budget for the president. Now, as you well know, a presidential budget doesn't do anything. It's a piece of paper because Congress writes the budget. Now, the president has to sign it, but it's, it's, it's like a blueprint. It's pursuant to, what is it, like 1920 budget bill is when they started, where you know it used to be Congress, you know, Congress writes the budget and the president either signs or vetoes it. So here they, they wrote a rule, hey, by by April or March, maybe March, give us a give us a budget blueprint for the coming fiscal year in in October, and we'll we'll take a look at it. And usually it's ignored and they write their own. So the point is it's more of a talking point. It's an aspirational document. And it was a every year, all four years, it was a very good document. It was like, hey, Russ, write, write me a budget. And Russ wrote a very good budget. And Trump approved it. Oh, that's, that's great. And it went out um, 
to Congress, and it was thrown in the garbage and never seen from. And then Steven Mnuchin worked with, you know, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and, you know, whatever losers I forget now were in charge of the budget and appropriations committees. And they would craft a budget that jettisoned every single righteous policy that the OMB had in their thing. And not only, and, and, and it was almost like he was trolling us, Stephen Mnuchin and Trump. Every single program that was targeted for elimination or cuts in his blueprint was increased, got an increase in spending. This is before COVID, by the way. This, this happened for the first three years. Got an increase in spending in the budgets that ultimately went to Trump for his signature. We would all yell at the time, no, Trump, they're, they're screwing you. Paul Ryan is screwing you. Please veto it. Please veto it. I would even do that because you want to get him to veto it. I wanted an outcome. But really, the reality is it was his admin that, that negotiated that from day one. And that's the end of it. You see what you see where I'm headed. There's the ceremonial play and there's the real play. There's the aspirational document and there's the one that's the must pass bill that's signed into law. There is the real budget bill NDAA and then there's the hearing. There's censure votes and then there's the must pass bills. You see what I'm getting at? Are you starting to sense a pattern here? This is the game they play. So basically, in the Trump orbit, this is what happens, both on the campaign, but ultimately, more importantly, for governing. There's, let's say, the good guys around him, and there's the bad guys. The good guys get the talk. The bad guys get the walk. The bad guys get what matters, what ultimately matters. Again, not always, and there were good policies that bled through, Ultimately, on the biggest issues in the most impactful way, most of the time, that is what has happened. I hoped, even I hoped, because I, I don't need to be on the other side of all my colleagues. I would love to take yes for an answer. All right, you support him. We all believe in the same things. Let's get this done. But the reality is, so, so and, and I thought that, okay, one good news is that Jared Kushner who is literally the biggest problem, appears to be out of the picture. I was like, all right, that's good. But then no, we saw Lindsey Graham, Rick Greenell, Bruce Jenner, and now Doug Burgum, and all these dung holes around him. It has not changed. He is, and now Elise Stefanik and Christy Nome. These are the people, Christy Nome. I mean, these are the people who will be in his cabinet. He, if anything, it's gotten worse. It's gotten much worse. You know why? Because back in 2016, literally, he he won without most of the establishment. But now they all endure, They all embraced him. He is the establishment. They've all embraced him. Do you think they're not going to get rewarded for those endorsements? It's even worse. Open your eyes. Without intervention, he will not change. These people that claim Trump is God and claim to have such influence with him and enjoy it so much, they have a moral obligation to put their money where their mouth is and pressure him and get the job done. That's the reality. 
But this is the problem with Elise Stefanik. This is the movement. This is what it's all about. And then, folks, there's also the electoral viability part. Again, we're losing the suburbs. Steve Dace put this out. You have to win the suburbs. Okay, think about it like this. Rural America is solidly Republican. Urban America is solidly Democrat. Suburbs are mixed, but how much that mix is, is depends on the type of suburb and in totality, you know, how much you win. No one's ever going to win all the suburbs, you know, 80-20, like you win urban or rural. It'll be somewhere in the middle, but the exact number matters. Trump won the suburbs by four, four points in 2016. And as you well know, he won the election by a hair, the most minimum amount you could a- a- ever win it. I mean, technically, not from the Electoral College, because he could have you know, lost two of those states and still won. But the point is, each one of those was by a hair. Each of those states, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, it was by a hair. So, and that was a four-point margin. We are now losing them by eight, ten points. Okay? We are losing every special election, every full-time election. Even even in Iowa, his weakness in the suburbs was very evident. It won't make him lose Iowa. But with those numbers, you will lose Wisconsin. You will lose Georgia, Arizona, and certainly Pennsylvania and Michigan. That is a reality. And again, you could laugh about Trump so easily winning, but that's a primary when he is the incumbent with 100% of conservative media doing his bidding. So you don't need an on-the-ground campaign. You could win by virtue of your name and support. But in a general election, when you're fighting for those suburbs, you need a ground game with early voting and ballot harvesting. Where is the evidence that's going? And, and the problem is, I'm seeing a lot of guys make fun out of ground game now, and it's going to their head. Oh, you know, you defeated DeSantis. But it's stupid because it actually proves the point. DeSantis got an extra seven points out of ground game. Now, he's way behind, so he couldn't win. But in a general election where it's more even and it's competitive, I mean, that that I mean, even two, three points is is the difference between victory and 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 losing. They have an obligation to get him on that. But these guys are in la-la land. Matt Gates put out a statement yesterday, quote, for every Karen we lose, there's a Julio and Jamal ready to sign up, sign up for the MAGA movement. And th- there's two problems with that. Let's talk about just, just morally. There's nothing wrong with you know winning non-traditional Republican voters, and that's certainly a laudable goal. But I'm starting to dislike the way that they're talking about it is that they're literally adopting the language of the left. Yeah, those whiteies, I hate them. Let's go with the colored people. Yeah, we're sick of the board. Like, what type of bullcrap talk is that? I mean, we all hate the caricature of a suburban Karen, but not everyone's like that. And, and this is what people are missing. There's a lot of educated suburbs that are left. But then there's educated suburbs that were traditionally Republican and we're losing. Do I dislike how some of them are brainwashed? Absolutely. But you got to win their vote. And the bottom line is, if you have a campaign around the contours of Ron DeSantis versus Gavin Newsom in that debate, 
you will win those voters. Or again, not all of them, but enough of them to get a four or five point win in overall in suburbs rather than a six, seven point loss in the suburbs. That's where it's that's where it's won among those voters. Again, suburbs are not moderate. It's it's an amalgamation of everything. You have people as left as it urban, you have people as right as rural, and you have a bunch of people in the middle. And that's where it's run. That, that that's where it's won in, in in those things. So first of all, it just the notion that we're just writing people off is just adopting the left's language. Oh yeah, those white people. And again, and again, you could say what you want, but when Trump lies and gaslights and says and does immoral things needlessly, and nobody has an intervention on his ideology, on his morality, on his behavior. So you're, I'm, I'm sorry, but you, you can't have a debate. You have two people and you're like, well, one guy has a better vision. You, that might be true. But if that guy is standing before the voters buck naked, defecating, throwing up, and spitting, the people cannot look beyond that. It's hard enough for people like us to stand this guy's, to stomach his, his routine. You know, last night he literally purposely lied and said DeSantis just announced he's getting out. Whether you believe he should or shouldn't is a different story. You could say he should get out, but he lied. Like, that's a problem. That's a problem. When you embrace Laura Loomer, that is a problem. Conservative media has become so conditioned to, look, we just have to tolerate. We just have to, and now they, they, they don't just tolerate, they glorify it. It's all good. You know, a lot of people point out to mistakes DeSantis made in a campaign. And he made mistakes, and everyone does. But here's here's the problem. Typically, it comes out in the wash because the opponent also makes mistakes. But in this case, Trump was given a bye week every single week. If all of conservative media gets together and says, there is nothing this man can do, and I mean nothing, ideologically, personnel-wise, to betray his... Base, morally, lie, you know, bear false witness, embrace retarded, disgusting, degenerate people that will elicit even a mild rebuke, then I don't know what to tell you. It's kind of like, let's say you have two football teams and one had a really good season, 12 to 4, maybe even 11-5. But, you know, 11-5 season, you... You know, you, you'll you'll be able to find a lot of weaknesses in their in their game, where it's responsible for losing five times, and even some of their wins. It's like, hey, you shouldn't have won that, but you know, you had overall some good things that overcame it. But you know, in the long run, your your team, you really need to work on your uh, defensive line. You need to work on your your uh, pass rush. You need to work on a lot of different things. But then there's another team that's undefeated. Now, this is a hypothetical because there's no such thing as this in football. They have a 4-0 to record. Now, why is it 4-0? to Because 12 out of the 16 games, they get a bye, and they only play against the weakest teams in the NFL. All the strongest ones, they get a bye. <laughs> so they never had a chance of losing anyway. Look at that impeccable. Well, yeah. When you when you say Trump never has to debate, he never has to stand before the people, he never has to answer for a goddamn thing he did, 
And then he could literally do things that we all agree are morally problematic. I don't just mean, yeah, he's kind of gaslighting a little bit. He's off topic. I mean just disgusting things and then elevates the most disgusting people. So so think, think about this. The number one thing from conservative media is this. DeSantis had horrible online influencers. Okay, so let's let's break that down. DeSantis had influencers who had 50 followers that never even met Ron DeSantis. And their worst offense was going up to some of these guys and tweeting at them, you're being hypocritical. You know, you say you stand for this, but then now you don't care. Okay, so that's obnoxious, okay? That was the worst he did. Trump, including the man himself and his top people, said the most disgusting things on the level of Casey, uh, you know, faked her cancer. But that, that was fine. You see what I mean? You can't win an election like that. You can't win an election like that. Now, they could laugh at us all they want. Getting him as the primary person. And, and, and yeah, we that's fine. But now the laugh's on you. Because now, you can't rely on Laura Loomer to get you elected in a general election. Okay, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to get him to remain conservative on his policies and just the opposite. Now he has every incentive to move to the left. Meaning if you tell him that we're going to vanquish conservatives and and we're going to crush you and we don't care, so certainly if he doesn't have any competition anymore, he'll just run up the score. He'll just run up the score. So all these people that are like, oh, you know, this is what went wrong with DeSantis. This is what went wrong. There's definitely mistakes and there were problems. And like I said, part of the problem was that he selflessly focused so much on the Florida legislative session that he had someone that he trusted build the network and the super PAC. She was extremely incompetent. And that was a problem. But in the scheme of things, it would not have been worth more than five more points in Iowa. You are not going to win. You can't win, as I've explained, because even much less loved and charismatic and, you know, less on the surface rhetorically in our camp than Trump, these incumbents win all the time. Again, Chuck Grassley just defeated a conservative 74 to 26. The guy is a dead carcass. So don't tell me that, oh, you know, uh, you know, it's you run this campaign, that there is no campaign you could run against something like that. But what is the plan from MAGA to have him actually win? You know, just just uh this week in Florida, there was a state legislative seat that was flipped. Now they still have a supermajority, but the Dems flipped like 51-48. They won a, a special election in in an Orlando suburb kind of area. And obviously they want to blame DeSantis. Oh, you're governor. And then, and this is why I think, you know, eventually he has to go back to Florida, shore things up. Now you could argue had he been there and been campaigning, he could have helped the guy. But as a baseline, the reason why the, or not the guy, it was a woman. The Democrat ran to the right and he was actually criticized in the primary for that, uh, agreed to um, DeSantis's, uh, 
you know, porn and anti-trans and grooming bill said he supported it. So he was more kind of palatable. And remember, this is this is kind of a middle of the road district. Trump actually, I believe, lost it by four or maybe more. DeSantis won it by 11. But remember, DeSantis was a special thing. Winning that by 11, you know, more, you know, in, in a presidential year, presidential election with more partisan lines, it's going to be a closer seat. Now, you don't need to win that to win Florida. You don't even need to win that to maintain a supermajority in the legislature. It's not a big deal. But again, it's emblematic of the type of voters you do need to win to win a statewide election in, a, you know, Georgia and Wisconsin. And, and uh, you know, like the Phoenix suburbs in, in, in Arizona. Atlanta suburbs, Phoenix suburbs, Milwaukee suburbs. Okay, that, that's where the election is essentially won or lost. This woman's tour de force was embracing Trump. Okay, she was a Trump supporter, not a DeSantis supporter. It is not a winning brand. That is just a reality. What is the plan? And again, this is before they just crush him in the courts, fairly or unfairly, his numbers will go down. What is your plan? What is your plan that if he has to drop out, he doesn't hand it off to someone like Elise Stefanik? And now she is the leader. You see what I mean? This is different than I will absolutely never vote for Trump even in November. That's a different, we don't have to, that, that's a different point. This is right now. Will the MAGA base, and, and you know who these guys are, will they guarantee an answer to my six questions? That you'll stop his bleed to the left on, you know, policy, on personnel. You're going to keep out Nikki, Stefanik, Noam, people like that. You're only going to appoint a MAGA-adjacent VP that... You're gonna st- that if you ever became president, you'd have the 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 balls to fight on must pass legislation and be willing to veto them and go over a deadline because again, you're never gonna get sixty votes. And if you're scared of a shutdown, as he was during his presidency, that's not gonna change. Trump said at a CNN town hall, by the way, by the way, he said at a CNN town hall that he made it very clear he only would oppose a debt ceiling increase. When he's not present, I, I, you guys have to watch it. Just Google, you know, CNN town hall, um, uh, Caitlin, whatever her name is, uh, New Hampshire debt ceiling, and you'll you'll see the clip. And he he puts on such a smug, disrespectful thing. She's she said, "Well, wh- what do you mean you don't care about raising the debt ceiling when you were present? You always raised it." Because you were scared of a default. He said, yeah, that was when I was president. So she said, what changed? He said, well, now I'm not president. And he smirks. And the audience laughs. Do we just love being disrespected? Our whole lives, we were raped by Mitch McConnell. Is that more pleasurable when it's being done by Trump and at least Stefanik? I mean, I, I'm not, I, these are serious questions. They have an obligation to get him to fight on must-pass bills. They have an obligation to get him to work a ground game. But how are you going to do that if all the money is going to legal defense and he's saying he doesn't have the energy or desire to run a normal campaign? Mar-a-Lago videos 
and MAGA rallies do not win you. And, and by the way, you know, you should learn that from DeSantis. DeSantis had enthusiastic rallies. It did not translate into large voter votes. Even in a tiny state like Iowa, you could have a l- relatively large crowd, but that's not a majority of voters. So certainly in a country of 330 million, you could pack a stadium with 100,000 people at a given time and have an enthusiastic rally while Biden has nobody. But we already saw what happened in 2020. Rallies do not translate into votes. They have an impervious early voting ballot harvesting operation that the Republicans to this day are losing in every legislative election that I can see. And then the suburbs. The suburbs. We are, we are, the Republican Party is trash. They're getting crushed. It's not resonating. How are you going to win a general election? These are serious questions. Oh, he's up 1.3 or something, something like that in the RCP average. But the RCP average had a shift to Dem. The, the, I'm saying the 2022 election results were six, seven points more Dem than the RCP average. So one point RCP average, if anything, shows a five point loss. That's not an answer. That's not okay. We need answers. And then again, we need answers that he is either going to commit to staying on the ballot and not stepping down in a plea agreement, or if he would accept one or it's taken out of his hands by the Supreme Court, that his network would not elevate a rhino. Okay, you don't want DeSantis? Fine. But then, you know, pick someone that would be palatable to everyone. Okay? Pick uh pick Mike Lee who who put his neck on the line and endorsed you. Pick Rand Paul. Pick Ron Johnson. You know, even JD Vance and 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 Josh Hawley. Now, I have my own views on what they are and aren't, but you know, on depending on the issue, but but at least okay, at least that much. But it, but 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 you got to get that. And here's the dirty little secret <clears throat> behind all that bravado <clears throat> of all these guys. <clears throat> they don't have the clout that they claim they do, because at the end of the day, Trump and the core people around him do not share our values. At the end of the day, you have to have a fighter to fight through policy battles. And Trump takes the path to least resistance every time. They they won't tell you this, but they don't have the ability to even move Trump in a meaningful way, even if they wanted to. And that, my friends, should scare us all. Now, I didn't get to the third leg, which is state legislatures today. There's a lot of good news in South Carolina. We forced the rhinos to flip on a vote after they killed us on a tranny bill. They went back and voted um, <clears throat> to ban castration um, because the, the South Carolina Freedom Caucus is the way of the future. They are 
distinguishing our jerseys. They're not Trump. They're not never Trump. They're not against. They're not for. They're their own brand fighting on the issues that matter, distinguishing their jersey from the establishment, and willing to declare where they're operating as a party within a party. That is the future. And then they're building a grassroots that in real time pounds these guys. If you would focus on the legislation in the red states and do that on everything, we would have a different country. (laughs) I truncated that in one minute because we're out of time, but it doesn't have to be this way. But remember, if we don't change the game and focus on the state legislatures and somehow get out of this Trump grasp, and maybe that doesn't mean a way of getting rid of him for for the nominee, but 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 what it represents is that it could elevate rhinos and rhinoism to elite status on the right with superficial pandering while screwing us on what actually matters. That's a big problem. That is ten times worse than the pre-Trump establishment. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to take the anal rape just because it comes from a guy who has a lower IQ than Mitch McConnell. And that's just the way it is.